take your Bibles, if you would, turn to Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to look at our theme for the year. That song was written by Mrs. Lillian Seltzer, and, uh, for, and we thank the Lord for that. And we're going to take a look at Hebrews chapter 1, and we'll be singing that song throughout the year, and we'll get better at it. And I uh, uh, love the words to it, scriptural words right out of Scripture, and thank the Lord for those who use their talents and uh, to be able to help. There were churches in the past that, that I know I should say that, I know Spurgeon's church, they used to write their own songs, their own hymns, uh, and many of them straight from the Psalms. They would use Scripture and, and put their own tunes to them and sing them. And uh, that's always good when uh, the Lord can use those with their talents to be able to help us memorize and then sing his word. Hebrews chapter 1, the title of the message is Jesus is Better. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who, being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they." And verse 4 is our theme verse for the year. It says, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and thank you for the opportunity to be able to be here this morning. And I pray that you would uh, help us this morning. I pray that you would cleanse my mind and my heart. I pray that I'd be right with you and I pray, Father, that you will give me what I need spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and physically, and then you would do the same for your people. And Father, I would ask that you would help us to uh, be able to see how you are better in different aspects of life and that you truly are better and you truly are to be valued uh, above all things and you truly are to be exalted above all things. And Father, we ask you for this and we pray I pray once again for your power, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. This epistle was primarily written to Hebrew Christians, and it was especially written to those who were tempted to lapse back into Judaism. There, there had been these Jews who accepted Christ, and then they had a tendency, though, to fall back into Judaism, and therefore, the writer of Hebrews stresses a word here to them, and the word is better. You'll find the word better throughout the book of Hebrews 13 times, and it's exactly uh, what the author wants uh, to, to, to press in on those who are reading, and it's not only mentioned 13 times, but the idea of better continually reoccurs throughout this book over and over again. I don't know about you, but maybe, maybe I can speak for myself. When, I'm, uh, when I am uh, looking to see if something or someone is better, I use what is uh, just, I think, a logical method of compare and contrast. 
So to see if something is better, you compare it to to what you are saying. Well, this might be better than that, but I want to see if this new product is actually better than the old one. So I'm going to compare and contrast it. What are the, the new features and how well does it seem to work? And we do that with people all the time. You say, what are you talking about? Sports figures. Man, if you're into basketball at all, you have constantly heard the debate between Michael Jordan and LeBron James, who is the greatest of all times. I grew up in the Michael Jordan era, so I don't think there's any comparison whatsoever. I, I think LeBron is, he, he's good, but I'm just the, uh, Jordan's the man. I'm sorry. I mean, uh, he, he just, he, I, I've seen him will his team to win. He's put his team on his back and willed him to win. And people say, well, LeBron's been to more championships and stuff like that. So be it. He has. And, uh, but he's had a better cast around him than Michael Jordan ever had. But I'm here to preach you about Jesus is better. I'm sorry. I just, you can see I can get a little bit tense when it comes to that. All right. But if you want to compare and contrast, that's exactly what you do. Yeah, the greatest quarterback of all time or the greatest CEO of all time. And, and you can do that and it will help you come to a decision on what is exactly better. And this is what the, Hebrew, the author of Hebrews does. He goes through the book and he compares Jesus to all these other things that the Jewish, these Jewish people that would lapse into Judaism say, well, Jesus is good, but you need this. Jesus is fine, but you need this. See, what you need to remember is what the, the author of Hebrews, I can, I can sum up the author of Hebrews uh, uh, what he's trying to say in a couple words here, this whole book. He's trying to tell us that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. He, he's just better. You don't need anything else but Jesus because he's, he's better. And he compares Jesus uh, and contrasts Jesus to specific things and people to show that Jesus is better in all aspects of life. And at first, if we looked at these Jewish Christians we would be tempted to, to say to them, how foolish could you be to lapse back into something that's mere bondage and inferior in every aspect? How, how foolish could you be? My, my spiritual ancestors, how foolish could you be to lapse back into Judaism and, and forget that Jesus is better? But before we are too quick to point our spiritual finger, we also have the same propensity as they do to miss the greater by clinging to the lesser. We have the same propensity to miss the greater because we cling to the lesser. You say, what are you talking about? Well, the American culture is continually tries to entice us with temporal blessings as if they were actually superior to the riches that are found in Christ. I should have got a rousing amen right there because that was an awesome statement that the American culture, think about this, the American culture is continually enticing us with temporal blessings as if they were actually superior to the riches that are found in Christ. Is that not true? All you have to do is look on the TV. You see commercials, and you and I, we are bombarded every day. We're loaded, overloaded uh, every day that the idea of total, total satisfaction can come outside of Jesus. You say, well, pastor, I know that total satisfaction can't come outside of Jesus. 
I understand. I would never say that. We may not say that, but we would go as far to say that we just like to try and mix a little Jesus with some temporal blessings. Just give me a little bit of Jesus with some temporal blessings and then it'll be good. No, see, you don't have to have temporal blessings. And if you just have Jesus, you have all that you need. Why? Because he is better than any temporal blessing that you could ever have. See, Jesus alone is better than anything that has ever been offered to us by the American culture. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus is better. He is better than anything the world could ever give us. You may ask, maybe this morning, you might ask, well, why? Why should I choose to accept that Jesus is better and greater than anything that the world has to offer? Why should I live my life on that basis? Why should I take this theme and apply it to my heart? Well, I would say if we don't, we will love the world like everyone else and live like everyone else. And think about it. They're doing their best every day just to keep their head above water. So why would I want to love the world like everyone else and try and live like everyone else? So you have a choice. You can live like that out there and continue to struggle and, and, and fight and, and, and trying to mix a little bit of Jesus with the temporal blessings. But my friend, we don't need that as believers. What we need is Jesus and Jesus only. Jesus is better than anything that the world could ever give you. I want to look at a few areas where Jesus is better. Take a look. If you're taking notes in your program there, there should be a little handout. Jesus is better in his position. Jesus is better in his position. Take a look at Hebrews 1.4. The Bible says, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by an inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. See, it's, this is seen in his name. He, he has a better position because it's seen in his, in his name. We have this here. He has a ex, more excellent name than they, but take a look at his position. Jesus' prominence in his position. Jesus' prominence in his position. On the website ranker.com, they have a page of the most important world leaders in history. There are a number of different people from all different types of walks of life that are listed as the most prominent leaders of all time. And as I was on that page, and you can vote. And so I think the, I think the rankings change because you can go to ranker.com and you can put, cast your vote. So, but when I turned there, George Washington was number one. Now we're talking about the most important world leaders of all time. George Washington was ranked number one. There was Mother Teresa ranked on there, Abraham Lincoln, Alexander the Great, Martin Luther King Jr., Augustus Caesar, John F. Kennedy, Winston Churchill... Oh, and by the way, they even mention Jesus Christ. They have Jesus Christ as the, the most important world leader in history. He's ranked at number 36. I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 1, please. See, they may, they, they may have ranked Jesus at number 36, but they've ranked him wrong. But what do you expect from the world? See, Jesus, Jesus' position in history and in eternity is the place of prominence and priority. There's no one greater than Jesus. Take a look at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. Colossians 1, 15. 
who is in the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should, should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Ranker.com might have ranked Jesus at 36, but Bible.com ranks Jesus at number one. Jesus is better in his position in prominence, but also Jesus is better in his position in preeminence. Jesus is preeminence in his position. Turn to Psalm chapter 2, if you will, please. Psalm chapter 2. Not only is Jesus prominent in his position, Jesus is better. He's above all. It says that all things were created by him and for him. All things were created by him and for him. It's for him. This world was created by him, but this world was also created for him. You were created by him, but you were also created for him. And for us that know Jesus Christ is our personal Savior, the Bible says, you are bought with a price. You're not your own. And so therefore, we should live as if Jesus is better at every turn. Jesus' preeminence in his position, Psalm chapter 2 and verse 7. Take a look here. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Turn quickly over to Ephesians chapter 1. I want you to see this here. So God declares the son, the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee. He didn't just say that Jesus, that Jesus was an angel. No, Hebrews tells us that he's better than the angels. He says that he is the Son. Jesus Christ is not only the Son of God, but He is God's Son. Jesus Christ is not only 100% man, but He is also 100% God. The Bible plainly teaches this, that He is preeminent in His position. Here on earth, man may rank Jesus at a certain position, but let me tell you, there's been no world leader to ever cross the spectrum of time that is more important than the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, how can you say that, that Jesus is better than Mahatma Gandhi, than Mother Teresa? They were, they were religious leaders in their own right. Uh, how about Buddha and, and uh, Muhammad and those type of things? I really do. I, I get a big kick about what Buddha said. He said, and I've told you this before, but I, I just love this. Buddha said that uh, I, will, I will show you the way. The reason that Jesus is better than Buddha is Jesus doesn't say he's going to show us the way. Jesus says that he is the way. You say, well, why is Jesus so much better than all these other world figures and religious leaders and and powerful people? And and, uh, by the way, he's he's better than uh, any president, any king, any monarch. You say, why is that? I can tell you one reason and one reason that stands above all. Because none of those men can save me from my sins. 
None of those men can put me in a relationship right with God. None of those men or, or women can put me in a place where I am free from my sin and I am on my way to heaven and has me in a personal relationship with God the Father. There's not a single one, no matter how powerful they are, could ever do that. It was only Jesus the God-man that came and died on the cross for my sins, rose three days later according to the scriptures, that can put me in that relationship. It's him and him alone. Jesus' preeminence in his position. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 1. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power? Verse 19, Ephesians 1, 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us, word, who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead? Now take a look at this. And set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. I find it interesting. The Bible says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. I wonder why that was put in there. Why was that mentioned? Why, why would the writer of Ephesians, why would Paul put that in there? Well, number one, it was underneath the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Okay, but then why was it mentioned? Well, the reason being is because a person of high rank who put someone on their right hand gave them equal honor with themselves and recognized them as possessing equal dignity and authority. Here we see, we see God exalting Jesus above all others by seating him at the right hand of the Father. See, in this portion of Scripture right here, we see the preeminence in his position. There would be the other religions out there and even cults out there that would tell you that Jesus was a, a good man and that Jesus was a God, but he is not the God. Well, you can take him right to this portion of Scripture and you can show them where it says that Jesus was seated at the right hand of the Father. The Father placed him there. And what does that mean? That they are co-equal, co-eternal, and co-existent. That all the power and authority that God has, Jesus has. Why? Because he's seated at the right hand. See, this is why Jesus is better in his position because of his prominence and because of his preeminence. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 5, Verses 1 through 14, and I behold, I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beast, and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power, and riches, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing, and every creature which is in heaven, and on the earth, and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, heard I saying. Now it's saying all the creatures, all the creatures, all the animals, everything, if you will, it says, and I heard them saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, amen. And the four and 20, and the four and 20 elders fell down and worshiped him that liveth forever and ever. My friend, Jesus is better in his position. There will never be another individual to receive that type of worship the way that Jesus receives that worship. He's better in his position. So why should we look at other people? Why should we hold them in such high regard? Should we not daily as believers 
recognize that Jesus is better in his position? You know, so many times, myself included, we look to the arm of the flesh, do we not? We look to the arm of the flesh for humans to provide for us. We look to the arm of the flesh for humans to promote us. We look to the arm of the flesh for humans to protect us. But we, as a, we have a Savior. Those of us who know Christ is our personal Savior. We have a Savior that is supreme in prominence and preeminence. And in, and in his position, he is above all. And at any time, we can come to him. See, Jesus is better. But not only is Jesus better in his position, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Because here we go. Now we're going to take it from the theological. I just gave you some theology, okay? That's what I just gave you. Teachings on the doctrine of Christ and his prominence and his position. Now I'm going to take you from theology and I'm going to show you how Jesus is better than not not just in theology, but Jesus is better in everyday life. Because I'm going to make a statement here. Jesus is better than money. Jesus is better than money. Now, American culture wouldn't tell you that. I know we have on our dollar bills in God we trust, but it's not in God we trust. It's in green we trust. And the sad part about it is many Christians live that way. We forget that Jesus is better than money. Do you realize that if you have Jesus, you, you, it doesn't matter. He'll be able to provide for you. Take a look at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. Jesus says, Lay not for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I want you to turn over to Luke chapter 12. See, Jesus is better than money. Money, of, money is one of those things that drives the world, is it not? I mean, money drives the world. You can go to New York City and you can go and there's a financial museum that you can go to in New York City and you can see about all the, the different, the way that the, the finances have been done in our country and things like that. You can go to New York Stock Exchange. You can see people running around like chickens with their heads cut off and uh, selling this and, and, and buying this and, you know, all that kind of thing. It's money that drives the world. And money seems to provide so much, but in reality, it doesn't really deliver. There are so many things that money cannot guarantee. Money cannot guarantee inner peace. Money can't guarantee inner peace. You can't buy inner peace. It's an impossibility. The Bible tells us in Psalms, and, and, and I'm not going to get into the theological comparison between, because I'm going to use this. It says, he never leaves me nor forsakes, forsakes me. But um, in Psalms, it talks about where David says, oh, forsake me not utterly. Oh, forsake me not utterly. So the implication is that there could be somewhere the, the Lord removes himself from us. Not our salvation, but that inner peace at times. Sometimes it's to reveal sin in our life. Sometimes it's to give us greater dependence upon him in prayer. 
But has there ever been a time where you've struggled in your life to be able to have inner peace with God and you're struggling and there's just some things going on in your life and it's a difficult thing? Guess what? If, so, if you truly have struggled with inner peace in your life, if somebody says, I'll give you $10 million, you would say, no, thank you. Just give me peace. See, money can't buy peace, inner peace. Money, guess what? Money can't buy true love. It can't buy true love. Money can't buy total acceptance. Money can't buy joy. Money can't buy life. Guess what? Money cannot, you say, well, money can extend life. No, it can't. You might think that it can extend life, but it can't. You say, how can you say that? I watched somebody that, that uh, uh, now, nowadays, they've got medical procedures that, that um, have uh, they, that extend life. And so if I can afford that, I can be able to do that. Where my grandparents, they would have died had it not been. The Bible says it's appointed unto men once to die and after that the judgment. Your grandparents were born at a time exactly when God wanted them to be born. And they died at the exact time that God wanted them to die. And guess what? You're not extending your life. You just happen to be living in a time where God is gracious enough to have medical technology that may from our perspective extend our life. But in God's economy, it says that you are appointed to die. Now, that probably rubs people, uh, that, that, that just rubs, that just doesn't make logical sense. So think about it. Then what we're saying is that God is not in control, that man is in control. No, God is in control. You can't buy life. It's an impossibility. It's an impossibility. See, money is really a carnival mirror. It distorts reality. It makes promises that it can't deliver on. Now, money will tell you that, that it can guarantee peace. Money will tell you that you can get total acceptance. Money will tell you that you can uh, uh, have joy. Money will tell you that you can buy true love, but no, it's just a carnival mirror. It makes promises that it can't keep, that it can't keep its impossibility. I want you to look at a passage of scripture that shows us how foolish it is to put money or material wealth ahead of Christ. Take a look at, you should be there by now, Luke 12. The foolishness of doing this. Take a look. And one of the companies said unto the master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. Man, if this doesn't sound like America. And he said unto him, man, this is Jesus and he said unto the man, who made me a judge or a divider of you? And he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. Jesus just said, it doesn't matter how much you have. And he spake a parable unto them saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room, to, I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy, thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. The foolishness of putting money before God. See, Jesus is better than money. This man lost it all. Listen, I don't care how much money you have. You could be a multi-millionaire here this morning. You could be a billionaire here this morning. I don't care how much money you have. Guess what? Death is going to take it all away from you. 
death is going to take it all away from you. Everything that you possess is going to be taken away. See, what I find interesting here is that he, that he thought that he possessed all this stuff. We like our stuff here in America. And we like our money. And we think that we possess this. And, it's hard. and then when God seems to maybe take some things away from us, it's almost like we get mad at God. What, we find, what God's revealing to us is that um, those possessions, they were not ours. We didn't possess them, but those possessions, they possessed us. That's the reason we get upset if God takes something, some maybe financial, financially something away from us or, or maybe we can't get that new car or that new home or something goes wrong and, and temporal blessing is removed from us and we find what God is showing us is they really possessed us and we didn't possess them. See, the love of money, it grows the soul. I want you to think about it. I don't want to be morbid here on the first Sunday of January, but I want you to think about it. All that you own one day is going to go to somebody else. All that you own. All that you've worked for. All that you've saved. All that you've bought. It's going to go to someone else. And if you have a love of money, you think money is better than Jesus. It corrodes the soul. You say, Pastor, I don't think money is better than Jesus. Then how are we doing on our tithe and giving? Your actions speak a whole lot louder than words. You can say all you want. I love Jesus more than money. How are you doing on tithing, giving, grace giving, that type of stuff? How are you doing on that? Oh, Pastor, Jesus is just better than money. I I didn't. How are you doing in that? Are you following the Bible principles? Well, Pastor, I've got bills and I can't tithe and pay my bills at the same time. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. I'm going to be teaching and talking about living generously and next week I'm going to be teaching on first. And you're going to see things from the Old Testament and move it over to the New Testament, how living generously and what it talks about. I'll just put it to you this way. God wants first. Well, Pastor, I can't pay all my bills. Well, maybe you shouldn't have been on, on uh, Home Shopping Network for three hours and charging your credit card up. Hello? QVC might need to be XYZ'd. Hello? There's nothing wrong with QVC, nothing wrong with the Home Shopping Network. If you like that kind of thing, that's great. Nothing with, uh, wrong with Amazon and all those times. You know, that's great. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have things. But when you can't give to God because you've got so much credit card debt, where's the problem lie? God didn't tell you to charge it. See, Jesus is better than money, but our actions speak a whole lot louder than our words. See, if you, if you try and live for money, you're never going to have enough. First Timothy, I, I just said, I made a statement here that, that money corrodes the soul. The love of money, I should say. Money's not wrong in and of itself. And God blesses people with uh, much money. There are some people in the Bible that are extremely, extremely wealthy. But they're also extremely, extremely generous. So God's not saying money is wrong, but the love of money is wrong. And 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You'll never have enough. You'll always want more and more. 
And you'll always find that once you get more, you're always going to want more if you love money. See, you can be extremely wealthy and yet be totally miserable. The Bible says, and pierce themselves through many a sorrow. But I want you to remember this. The poorest of saints who has Jesus as their treasure is far richer than the man without Jesus. The poorest of saints who has Jesus as their treasure is far richer than the man who is without Jesus or the Christian who puts money before Jesus. See, Jesus is better in his position. Jesus is better than money. Jesus is better than relationships. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Jesus is better than relationships. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he saith, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Hebrews 13, 5. There's no doubt that we've been created for relationships. The Bible teaches us this. I want you to turn over to Psalm 133. Matter of fact, that's what Christianity is all about. It's about relationships. And the first and foremost relationship that a person must have is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this morning. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Let me ask you this morning. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? You say, well, I, I give to the church. You just spoke to, to the church about money, Pastor. I give a lot of money to the church. I didn't ask you that. Your money is not going to be able to pay Jesus off for you to get into heaven. You say, well, I, I'm faithful. I go to church quite often. Uh, uh, I didn't ask you that. You say, well, I've been confirmed in my church, and, and uh, I've, I've taken uh, maybe Holy Communion, or I've been, I've been baptized, and uh, I've gone through all my catechisms and all this. I am very glad that you have some religious background, and I'm not diminishing that at all. But let me tell you something, my friend. That's not going to get you into heaven. That's man's works. And the Bible tells us that man's works cannot get us into heaven. The question is, do you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? That is the first and foremost relationship, and that is what Christianity is based on. Not only do we have, relationship, have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but we are to have a relationship with others. Note what the Bible says about relationships. In Psalm 133, the Bible says in verse 1, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Don't turn there for a lack of time, but write it down if you would. Romans chapter 12, verse 4 and 5. The Bible says, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another. You can write down this reference and study it out later on. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Encouraging, lifting up, loving one another. Galatians 6, 2 talks about relationships. It says, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4, 18 mentions once again relationships. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient towards all men. All of these verses are encouraging relationships and helping uh, other believers out. And so relationships are not bad, but are even encouraged in the Word of God. But when we seek, this is the key, 
But when we seek to have, a relation, to have another person fill the relational void that only Christ can fill, every relationship will be lacking in some way. When we seek to have another person fill the relational void that only Christ can fill, every relationship will be lacking in some way. Melissa Kruger said this, Our spouses can never love us enough. Our friendships will be marred by insecurity. Our children will suffer from the pressure of our relational demands. Fear of losing relationships leads to anxiety and worry. Despair at what we may never have leads to bitterness and anger. And her point is that if we are trying to find a relational void in anywhere else than Jesus Christ, we will be sadly disappointed at every turn. See, only Jesus can meet our relational needs. He is the one who says, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Romans 8 is a great chapter in the word of God. It says, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or pearl or sword, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are, uh, uh, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded, Paul says, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the relationship that each of us need. And this is why Jesus is better than relationships. All other relationships fail. Why? Because they are finite they're finite. Jesus and the relationship with Jesus is better. Why? Because it is infinite. It is eternal. And nothing that you and I go through, no matter who forsakes you, no matter what happens to you, no matter how life, uh, uh, what, what life gives to you, nothing will ever be able to separate you from the relationship and love that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Then why do we go looking for satisfaction in other things. Oh, we would accuse our spiritual ancestors. Why would you go back to Judaism? But we too many times cling to the lesser instead of going for the greater. I'm going to tell you why we look at these things many times and run to them instead of Jesus in interactions, we actually say that, Jesus, you're not better. I'm going to tell you why. Because we want instant gratification. We want Jesus to do it like that. And sometimes it's a process. 
Not only is Jesus better than in his position, Jesus is better than money, Jesus is better in relationships, and then number four, we'll close with this, Jesus is better than pleasure. Jesus is better than pleasure. Take a look at Psalm 107. We'll turn there, and I'm going to give you two more verses after this. You won't have to turn to, but I'd like you to turn to Psalm 107, if you would, please. I know I preached a little bit long this morning. Psalm 107. Jesus is better than pleasure. Psalm 107, take a look at verse 9. For he satisfieth the longing soul. For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. For he, his person, there is nothing or no one else that can satisfy the soul like Christ. See, we tend to think that pleasure will satisfy We think that sexual pleasure will satisfy. We think that comfort and ease will satisfy. We think that watching the big game, hey, hey, that'll that'll satisfy. We think sometimes maybe travel or or vacations, they'll satisfy. We think, some of us would think that being productive would satisfy. And all those things may bring pleasure for a time. And I'm not saying that those things cannot bring pleasure. But the problem is, just like I said, they bring pleasure for a time. It only lasts for a certain amount of time. And the Bible tells us that Jesus satisfies the longing soul. Psalm twenty two twenty six says, The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. Psalm sixteen eleven says, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Friends, this morning, Jesus is better in all these areas. If you drink seawater... How many, let me back up and say, how many of you ever been to the ocean and you've got a mouthful of seawater? Yeah. Do yourself a favor, spit it out quick, especially if it's on the East Coast here, you know. You never know it's floating over there, you know. But you know what it's like. It gets in your mouth. Sometimes it gets up your nose. You know, you have a wave hit you and you're like, oh, man, you're like, oh. It, it doesn't taste too good. But, you know, if you drink seawater, you will only find yourself more thirsty, And if you keep drinking that water, you'll eventually die. So you can't drink seawater and live forever. If you decided, okay, today I'm going to start drinking seawater and no other type of water, guess what? Eventually you're going to die. See, no one can can sustain life on seawater. We're not made for that. We were made to have fresh water. Equally so. Here's the connection. The person who continually that goes after pleasure above Christ will continually find themselves more thirsty for more and then will eventually die from a lack of satisfaction. See, when we go after the pleasures and we value the pleasures of the world more than we value Christ, we're just drinking seawater. The point is that you can't quench spiritual thirst with temporal stuff. If the only, I want you to remember two things. Jesus is better, and you can't quench spiritual thirst with temporal stuff. If you take that away with you for the week, you'll be doing good. And keep reminding yourself, Jesus is better, 
And I cannot quench spiritual thirst with temporal stuff. Jesus is better, and I cannot quench spiritual thirst with temporal stuff. Just like seawater, you can't quench your thirst. The things of this world will not quench your thirst. They will never be able to satisfy the soul. Jesus is the only remedy that can satisfy the soul. Jesus is better than pleasure. Jesus is better in his position. He's the greatest world leader, and not only world leader, but he is the one and only savior. Jesus is better than money. He can provide for us when money can't. He can provide peace. He can provide joy. He can provide total acceptance in him. Jesus is better than relationships because all the relationships, they're finite, but my relationship with Jesus is infinite. And Jesus is better than pleasure because nothing can satisfy the soul like Jesus. It is true, friends, that Jesus is better than anything in the world. All that the world has to offer is temporary and is going to pass away. The only thing that is ever abiding is Jesus. And listen, Jesus wins every time. So the question for you this morning is what choice are you going to make? Will you choose that which leads to death and takes away, or will you choose Jesus as your ever-abiding treasure? You say, I'm choosing Jesus. That's a nice statement to make. But if you say that you're going to choose Jesus and live better, guess what? Uh, That Jesus is better. Your life will be totally and drastically different than the world's. What you live for will be different. How you spend your time will be different. What you do with money will be different. What you talk about will be different. Your relationships will be different. All because you base your life on the premise and on the fact that Jesus is better. I conclude with how I started. Why should I choose to accept that Jesus is better and greater than anything else the world has to offer? If we don't, we will love like the world like everyone else in the world, and we will live like everyone else in the world. But Jesus is better.